Welcome to Chapel Chatter, a KCU campus ministry podcast. I am your host, Jacob Shockey, campus minister at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson, Kentucky. It is our hope that you find this podcast encouraging and challenging for your faith, as we will discuss several different elements of the faith in ministry, not only with KCU students, faculty, and staff, but also our guests who speak in our chapel services. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chapel Chatter Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Shockey, campus minister at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson, Kentucky. I'm joined today with assistant men's basketball coach here at KCU, Sean Daniels. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm all good, man. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Um, you know, with this episode, um, we are in the second of a four-part series called Listen and Learn, um, and in the first episode, I had Dr. Joshua Bryant on, and we talked about inherent bias. And really, he got to speak a lot from his personal experience with inherent bias in the workplace, working in the medical field, but also even in the church growing up. Um, and today, I get the opportunity to talk with uh, Coach Daniels here about the role of sports in race relations, racial reconciliation and just how all these things intertwine with the church and the faith. Um, so with that, before we jump into the topic itself, uh, Coach, before yeah, we get into any of that, uh, for anyone that might not know you, any students that might not know you, or any outside listeners, just tell a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you got to KCU. Um, so, uh, like Jacob said, uh, I'm the assistant men's basketball coach here at KCU. This is my second season here. I'm from Detroit, uh, the east side of Detroit, Michigan. So as a kid, I moved around a lot. So I know uh, some people always say, like, you sound different, like you're from there, you're from there. No, I'm from Detroit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, opposed to, you know, going different places. I, I want to say that I've lived in about 25 different states Man. since I was a kid. I'm really, really just a big basketball fan, uh, and I love learning. So um, as a kid, I actually lived in Lexington for about a year. And I lived in uh, Nashville, Tennessee as well. So I'm pretty familiar with the area. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really, <laughs> I, you know, my grandmother calls me a boring guy. So it's not, <laughs> it's not much to me. Um, Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, like I said, second season here. So, you know, really starting to embrace the, uh, I think this is uh, geographically like the Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. And so the Eastern uh, Kentucky <laughs> way and just, you know, simple living. So, yeah. And that's a good way to describe it. It is simple living around here. There's not much going on. No, no, not at all. I grew up in this tri-state area, and Grayson's not much different than where I'm from. So, <laughs> very, very simple, but awesome, awesome. Well, um, you know, since, obviously, you're a coach, you have playing experience and things like that, um, I thought it's just a natural you know, person to have on the podcast to talk about some of these things. Um, like we talked a little bit before we started this, um, you know, I grew up in a family, especially being in this area, for some people, you know, sports is all there is really to do. Uh, it was focal point in my family growing up. And for me, football was always my thing. Um, I loved it growing up. My family loves it. It wasn't always the nicest to me. Had a ton of injuries growing up. Um, always, it seemed like every year, get through preseason conditioning, two days, get to the first week of season, injured. Right. <laughs> Um, just tore my body down, but still love it to this day. And, you know, and that's not the only team sport I did, but through team sports like football, even and basketball, I think 
one of the things I've always loved about sports is just seeing how it can bring so many different people together, right? And, you know, some of the best teams you see, they only work if every person is invested in making the team better, you know, one goal, one mission towards the rest of the season. Um, So there's a real unifying nature with team sports. And I think part, I mean, that's partly, I think, why people are so drawn to them. Um, Individual sports, you know, I was a wrestler growing up too, and, you know, I loved it. But you couldn't, you had duels and things like that, but you couldn't replace the team nature that you have with those other ones. So, you know, just in your experience, you know, how have you seen sports, you know, offer a unique opportunity to have that unity between all kinds of different people? So, it's kind of, it's almost like the simplest answer is everybody's different initially. You know what I'm saying? Um, So, when I was a kid, I actually started playing I like got introduced to basketball when I was like three. Mm-hmm. But I started like playing competitively around four and a half, five years old. Yeah. Now my stepfather, he coached the team. So okay. I didn't have to do tryouts, <laughs> but I couldn't really play. So now here I am, this five year old kid and he's coaching the third grade team. So everyone's <laughs> nine, ten years old and then there's me. So initially just thinking about it, um, my first realization that, you know, team sports connect is because it's just the game. Yeah. Here I am, five, and they're nine and ten. <laughs> so as you go, um, you look at like professional sports. Um, the connection is still the game. It's yeah. common go, you know, um, and that common go brings people together. If you look at like, uh, say, like a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know LeBron James is super <laughs> athlete of America. No one else is that yeah. on that pedestal, but they all have the same common go. So they have to connect. You got guys like uh, Matthew Delvadova, who's from Australia, and you got uh, different guys from different countries. And some people are from different walks of life. Even like we can be from the same exact state, mm-hmm. but life in here. I mean, you're from Ohio, right? Yeah. So yeah. life in Columbus and life from where you are are totally different. Oh, for but sure. <laughs> if you, <laughs> but if you get on a team with a guy that's from Columbus and you want to win, he wants to win. Doesn't really matter anymore, you know. Yeah. And that's going to force us to interact. It's going to force us to talk, um, and that kind of you know traveled me to college. Yeah, um, I played three years of college basketball, and then my senior year I quit mm-hmm. and I started coaching. Okay, so as the twenty-one years old, I was kind of like over. But uh, we had a guy from California who's, and this is kind of what got me into coaching. So this guy from California, his game is totally different from the guy from Michigan. Yeah, his game is totally different from the guy from Florida whose game is totally different from a guy from New York. And as a coach, we have to make this work. Mm -hmm. And you kind of almost got to just continue to preach. Come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. And even if that's, we just want to win two games. Yeah. Or we just want to average however many points as a unit. But I think that's where sports initially creates that. I mean, I think it happens a lot in church, too. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're all here to to learn and grow closer to Christ. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where you're from now. Can you help me, you know, grow closer? Can I help you? And it's just kind of like that paying it back, paying it forward type yeah. of mentality. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. Um, no, I think it's, you know, going back to the sports real quick, I'll come back to the church stuff, you know. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, like you mentioned, like, life in Columbus. And, like, I'm from southeastern Ohio, so we're – I mean, we're almost West Virginia, basically. <laughs> that's the way. That's small that you can't say the city is just southeast. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting, like, again, coming back to football for me, 
it's interesting even to see how communities like where I'm from, um, how even the game is played differently, like you said. You know, you have guys where we're from, we don't have the nice turf fields or anything like that. Like, so our take offensive gameplay and stuff like that, we ran like just run it down, you know, off uh, wing T. Pretty nasty football. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it's interesting. So I, going back to high school for me though, you know, I had to quit my senior year due to some injuries and whatnot. But I remember distinctly those guys, you know, they made the playoffs that year. And our field, you know, two games in, it's a mud pit. It's not even a field anymore. And I remember a team from Cincinnati coming over, and they ran, you know, air raid offense, and they couldn't do anything <laughs> on our kind of field. You know, we just ran down, ran down, ran down. Um, but part of that, being in that kind of social location for us and that environment and having to adapt, I just remember growing up, even the social location where we were at made us unify to a certain degree. Like we knew we couldn't do certain things like other schools could, but we could find a way to do things better than anyone else could given where we were at. And I hope I make that makes sense of kind of where I was going yeah, with that. I mean, it's like, it's like, like, you know, we were, we were saying this whole common goal thing. Yeah. You know, that's how you create inclusivity. Yeah. Like, okay, we all want to win or we all want to just, like you said, you're from Southeast. So you just your goal could have just been you guys you seventy guys your goal could have just been we just hate every football team from Cincinnati because yeah. we, we don't have good turf so yeah so when we see them we're going to just destroy them because yep. and it and it could be the one game of the season you know that's the one game on the schedule but we want to prove to them yeah. that we're just as good if not better so that that right there yeah it all makes sense for sure good because yeah it's one of those things yeah you put us at a neutral site or put them on put us on their field, we'd probably lose that game 10 times out of 10. So, yeah, I, I think a certain sense of awareness helps us with those goals and things like that. But, like you were saying with the church, um, it's one of those things that made me think of uh, Paul in Galatians 3 when he's talking about, you know, in Christ there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, because of Christ, right? Because right. we are all, in a sense, people. Yeah, we're just people. <laughs> we're relativized. We all need the same thing at that point. Um and we'll get into that a little bit more here soon, and I'm excited to talk about that. Um, but going a little bit further with this, because, you know, within the context, you know, of sports, we, we see common goals. How have you seen those common goals and that unity that's fostered kind of spill over into life outside of basketball, life outside of sports? You know, how does that drive us to be unified and better people outside of the game itself? So I'm a little biased. Um because I played sports for so long. Yeah. I played, I started basketball at three, but I also played baseball. Yeah. I played football in college. I, I think I played every sport that there is <laughs> to play. So I think once you get into the workforce or, you know, as some call it, um, the real world, yeah. once you get out there, you understand immediately that everyone's different. Yeah. You know, on my basketball team in college, there was a guy who was a doctor. And you come to school to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, these five guys over here want to go play professionally. He <laughs> wants to be a doctor, and I'm just here to have fun. <laughs> but we're all different. Yeah. So once you get into the workforce, I mean, whether you're working at McDonald's, there's somebody there who's just here to collect their check and go back home. Yeah. And there's someone here who wants to be manager, and then, you know, yeah. there's someone here who's just going to do the job to the best of their ability. And I think that planning 
you know, in the sports world and being involved athletically, you're able to work with almost any type of person. Yeah. And you create your own threshold for what you will tolerate. You know, um, I think had I not played a team sport, I'm not going to just say sports because yeah, yeah. I have I have friends who play golf. Yeah. And golf is it's almost like a you thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you may have a caddy and everyone doesn't care who the caddy is. So you go out there and play golf. Well, if golf doesn't work out for you, then you become a, a guy at McDonald's. Well, he has to do his job. You have to do that. We're working together for the goal. But yeah. if you don't understand this, you know, just primarily you do things alone. So in team sports, you're almost conditioned to work with someone. Honestly, it's hard for me to do things alone now. Yeah, yeah. I, and I mean, just a little bit about myself. I have 13 siblings. Wow. I have yeah, yeah. seven sisters. <laughs> so, <laughs> Got so God's I, blessing on you. <laughs> yeah, so growing up, I shared not a lot with my brothers, yeah. but I shared things with my sisters. For me, one of the things I had to share it was my mother. But, <laughs> but um, from then and then to now, you know, I was a teacher at one point, and in education, you're not working just with other yeah. educators or your principal, but you're working with the kids and you're working with the parents. And I think, like I said, team sports simply just condition you to not just work with people that you like, but people that you may not have much in common with. Yeah people from different walks of life, people who aren't as good at this as you are, and you guys are created in this little environment now you are creating to figure out how we can get to, you know, phase two, three, four, five. Yeah. Even in college, like I was great at team, oh, we're in a group, group (laughs) projects, I'm phenomenal. Yeah. (laughs) Individual project, I mean, ah, group project, oh. Thrive. Thrive. It's easy. It is definitely easy that way. It's one of those things, yeah, we're conditioned to adapt. Like, something I've always been, something I always try to talk to people about, either I was working in the church or I've worked here, is just because we're in the faith, just because we're in the church, it still doesn't mean you're going to like everybody. Like, we're all unique. We're all different. We have different passions, um, different things we're good at, different skill sets, all these things. But we are called to a sense to love people in spite of who they are, but also love them because of who they are in Christ, right? So it's adapting to those things. It's putting preference aside. It's that idea of unconditional love. Um, And I think it is exactly the same thing with those team atmospheres, team sports, um, and the way you can apply outside. You know, I'm, I'm the same way. I thrive more so in ministry when I can have some people I can bounce some ideas off of and we can, you know, part of it's shared perspective, it's difference in perspective. There's just so much I think we can gain from one another rather than just doing things alone. It's so hard when you're by yourself, though, because you, yeah. in your mind, you and, you know, some people, you know, it, it definitely is a thing, but I second guess a lot of my things. Mm-hmm based on, you know, anxiety. Yeah. I'm like, ah, is this, is this it though? Like, yeah. And especially in coaching, you know, I'm up at night and 12 a.m., 4 a.m. sometimes and I'm watching film and I'm writing down ideas and I'll call, I have a good friend who coaches out in California and I'll call mm-hmm. him, hey, hey, <laughs> so listen to this. Yeah. And it's like, I'm still in this like 
condition of working with someone else. But whenever I'm by myself, and I know you probably go through when you're writing out, mm -hmm. you know, uh, an outline for you know a sermon. Mm -hmm. Should I talk about that one? Yeah. And it's like every time. <laughs> yeah, so so that that bouncing that idea off somebody else, you're not you also you get that feeling of confidence, like, okay, I'm not alone. Exactly. I'm not the only person that's that's thinking this. Okay, this might work now. Yeah. It's three of us in here and two of us agree that this is cool. Okay. Yeah. We're good. We're good. That or even they can point out when something is ridiculous or, you know, you know, just isn't gonna be a good I've had a lot of those even like I thought this is the best idea in the world. It's one of those times I didn't second guess myself, nah. read read it someone else, and they're like, that's nah. not going to work. <laughs> that's not it, brother. Yeah, I mean, again, in coaching, I remember my like second year, I tell my head coach, like, listen, you should try this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all right. And I'm like, what? You know, and look at it, he's like, nah. <laughs> and we go in the game, we do it, and, uh, one of the guys goes, Coach, it's not, it's not it. I said, you sure? He goes, yeah, that, that's not going to work. Hmm. And head coach calls it already. Terrible, <laughs> terrible action. We get nothing accomplished. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> All right, next time I'll definitely, uh, and, you know, like you said, you're just so confident. Like, yep, this yeah. is it. This is the one. <laughs> I go, don't worry about it, guys. I got this one. And it's just. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like. <laughs> Not to be like too hyped up, I mean, uh, philosophical and stuff with it, but it's not just that this kind of dynamic fosters that unity, but it fosters a lot of humility as well. Um, you can't be that person that just goes gung ho with it. I mean, obviously you have your leaders in a team and stuff like that, but even the best leaders will still listen to you know the opinions of everyone else. I think best ones. Yeah, <laughs> the best ones. So, I mean, it's one of those, you know, it's a small situation, but if, you know, a player comes up and tells you, like, I don't think this is going to work kind of thing, there's value in you being open to hearing that, right? Um, so I think even that just shows some awesome um, examples of what really it should, like, should look like to work with people, to have dialogue with people, and to just do life together. Um, you know, we, we talked, you know, alluded a lot to the church and stuff like that. Um, you know, as... As someone that is trying my best, I guess is the way I always try to phrase this, and you know, advancing the gospel and advancing the church and things like that. You know, you look back at the early church in Acts, and right after Jesus ascends, and you know, the day of Pentecost and the Spirit comes on all the people. Um, you know, I always like reading the scripture just because I think it goes so well with what we're talking about. But Acts 2, this is how they describe the early church. You know, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. It all came upon every single soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds, and the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I think one of the most interesting things about hearing that, because that's the earliest description we have of the church, it's almost as if that unity and that common goal and the one accord, um, you know, being of one accord, directly correlates to being a witness of Jesus in the world. You know, I, I think at a place like KCU, 
you know, we have a lot of athletes here. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn from, you know, the work you all do as coaches with these players. There's a lot of value in these examples of unity, of dialogue, of humility. You know, all these things that are wrapped up in sports carry over into our mission for Christ. And I think we see it directly in Scripture. But the issue is we are often... And this is it's not just people that have done team sports. This is everybody. Uh, we have often done a really poor job at living out that description. Right. And it's one of those things. Last week, um, Dr. Bryant brought up, you know, was the famous quote from Dr. King that, you know, the church hour is still one of the most segregated hours of the week. And that's 60 years ago that he made that, you know, made those kind of statements. It was almost prophetic, more than anything. I was going to say, unfortunately, I, I agree. Yeah. Still. Yeah. I'm not 60 years old. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just mind-boggling at times to see that um, because it's almost as if we allow this, you know, I'm not saying every institution is perfect. They're far from perfect. But it seems like many institutions are far ahead of where the church should, you know, the church should be the leading force, but oftentimes we're playing catch-up now, it seems like. And that is a scary thought, especially for me, that you know, I've worked in the church, I'm trying to do these things, I'm like, what is going on? Um, and I think a lot of it is because we don't know how to adapt to things that we've made taboo or we're not you know, willing to be honest with ourselves about like stuff like I talked about last week with Dr. Bryant, like inherent bias, like we're not comfortable talking about certain things but yet, I don't know, the example's been set for us in all different facets of life to just do the right thing, just live together. Well, what sticks out to me is the first line. Mm-hmm. They all dedicated themselves to the teachings. That yeah. right there is going to drive you yeah. in how to act now. Exactly. You know, that's just how I look at it. Yeah. So if you, and I'll, I'll try my best, but... In coaching, if you really, really dedicate yourself to the craft that's coaching, yeah. that playing of basketball, football, whatever, if you dedicate yourself to the craft and what's being taught to you, you will never be perfect, but you will be better yeah. daily. So these members of the original church dedicated themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Yeah. It is a thing. This is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And daily, they end up... Again, like we're saying, with team, like as far as team sports, they're, they're drawn closer together based upon this common goal that they all have, yeah. which is further understanding and drawing closer to Christ. I think as the world goes, a lot of times in religion mm-hmm. in general, they try to maintain this original framework without moving with the world, and that's why I agree when you say, "Man, we're playing catch up, we're playing catch up, we're playing catch up." Yeah. It's, it's a fact. Yeah. The world is here, <laughs> and religion is like, some are like, okay. Yeah. Others are like, no, because that's not right. It's like, it's, no, it's not right to you, based yeah. upon what you were taught during this time in this era. Yeah. Well, the era changes and time continues, so it's not, you know, I don't even think it's a, an issue of like conforming and understanding, it's just more so pride. Yeah. This is what I like. Yep. And for me, I kind of look at that as 
but this is not what we're being taught. We're taught to accept people, like you said earlier, not just because of who they are, but due to the fact that this is truly who they're supposed to be yeah. to them. So they're going to bring themselves to you, and they're going to accept everything that you have to say, but you should also accept them for who they are. Yeah. Yeah, no, you and yeah. why they're that way. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest struggle for us religiously. Yeah. Is that we're not really trying to accept people because we want we feel like, okay, to play basketball you need to be six foot three or taller. Yeah. Well, there's some people that's five five. Yeah. Does that mean he's not good now? <laughs> so to come to church you have to carry your Bible every day and only tweet and use your social media for scriptures. Right. <laughs> well, so that means I'm not <laughs> qualified. I'm not qualified. Yeah. So, well, I can't love Jesus anymore. Oh. Yeah. And that, that's like Rams, you know? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> no, you're right. It's one of those things that me and one of my best friends in ministry, we talk about this all the time. It's the idea of faith, the idea of needing a savior is literally admitting that you're not perfect and you're not going to be able to do things right. And it's the most humbling of acts. It's saying, you know, apart from Christ, you know, I'm really nothing. You know, I'm not going to make these impacts. So if we start there personally in a posture of humility, the, the issue that you're explaining, and it's definitely there, is somewhere between that posture of humility, now that we have Christ, we become like the most pious people or holier than thou. And we put these unrealistic expectations in other people. And it just doesn't make sense. It's a, it's a, it's a false equivalency kind of thing. It's, you know, my motto has always been, or there's always just been this traditional feeling, I think, for people that to go to church, especially like on a Sunday or Wednesday, you check your baggage in at the door. Like you don't bring that stuff in here. And my motto has always just kind of been, no, I, I think Christ did and does a lot of his work in that mess, right? He does it by sitting with people that are messed up in Scripture. Like he doesn't go sit with the Pharisees to talk for most of the ministry that we have recorded. It's people, you know, prostitutes, tax collectors, just you know, just sinners in general. And we are doing a disservice to the church if we don't have that same posture that, yes, we believe there's some firm truth, but that doesn't mean firm truth doesn't disqualify people from walking through the doors, right? So, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. And I ask, I ask my players this all the time because, again, in team sports, there's always someone who's never, in life in general, I, I, I tell man, me and my, my brother who, who lives by this, we say, uh, mm -hmm. at some point in your life, you have to have that conversation with yourself for real discovery. Yeah. So, like you said, some people, because they go to church on Sunday and they read their Bible Monday through Saturday, they get that idea that they're holier than thou. Mm -hmm. And again, as you said, if we're all here seeking <laughs> salvation, how, how can you be better than me? Yeah. How many people do you think are actually having that, that mirror conversation and saying like, okay, I'm not perfect because yeah. I know there's a lot of people who will go to church and then at 1130 when they walk out the door, whatever they did on Friday and Saturday, they're back to it yeah. at 12 noon. Yeah. So 
but we both just left this church. So does that mean <laughs> now I'm good because I went to church, or does yeah. it mean that? So how many people do you honestly think have that <laughs> that realization or take the chance to just look and say, "Man, I'm just like this guy." In, in my experience, and if I had to put a number on it or something like that, I would probably say you, 10% of your church, if that. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with and admit as someone in ministry. But I'd say 1 in 10 people probably truly throughout the week are authentically trying to live into loving people for the sake of loving people because it's who they are in Christ, you know. Um, not having that pious attitude towards others. And I think a lot of that, and this is something, you know, I, I think I'm becoming more and more passionate about, is I think the church does a good job in introducing who Jesus is and leading people to a point of conversion in the sense of, okay, I need a Savior. I need to, you know, confess my sin, be baptized, that kind of thing. But I think where the church really falls off is we don't really invest in people after that point. A lot of times we just kind of tell people, okay, you're good. And that leads to that attitude of, okay, then I just got to keep the ritual up. I just got to go to church on a Sunday, and I look good. I think a lot of times what needs to happen is we got to <laughs> help people realize... That it doesn't stop there. It do, Yeah, it does not stop with just, you know, confession and being dunked in some water. There's a whole life that you now live trying to aspire to be more and more like Christ. And one of my favorite things I try to tell people is... And it's a really obscure passage. Uh, Romans 13, 8 um, says, Oh, nothing to anyone except the debt of love. And it's this idea, small idea from Paul, that don't, you know, you should know, you know, it's a whole, like, government kind of passage. But I, I think the point he's getting to, in a practical sense, is I need to love today better than I did yesterday. There's never going to reach a point in my life where I can say I've loved God enough. There's never going to be a point in my life where I can say in my situation, I love my wife enough, I love my friends, or I love just people enough. Or yourself. Or my, yeah, or myself. <laughs> and my, gra my, my great-grandmother um, used to teach me, uh, before she ever told me to read a Bible or anything, she told me, she taught me to love. Yeah. She said, you must love. I said, Granny, why are you saying this? <laughs> I was five years old. Why do you keep telling me you must love? You must love. Yeah. And then one day I asked her, I said, okay, what does this mean? She goes, God loves us. God is a creator. God knows our faults, which means you have them. Yeah. <laughs> which means you have to love the next person because the one that knows your fault still loves you. Yeah. And like you said, there's no such thing as loving enough or oh, loving not. <laughs> yesterday, Tuesday, I'm taking day off. It's Tuesday. <laughs> Let me tell you. Oh, man, I was out there just spreading love. <laughs> Wednesday, a little tired. Take well, the day back. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I mean, it's definitely a, a line you rolled away from our, our initial topic. But I think that this is very important because, like you said, okay, the, 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 the ritual is kids born. And I was just recently, this was a topic. Um, someone asked about uh, baptism. I said, well, <laughs> baptism always confuse me because you baptize a three-year-old he doesn't even know <laughs> that he shouldn't do half the stuff he's doing yeah but the ritual is we baptize this kid he's five years old well now his sins are washed away. well what sins what do you do <laughs> okay well you teach him this now that baptism washes your sins away 
baptism like your sins away. It's definitely more to baptism, but based on our societal teachings, baptism is the, the rule of baptism and confession that wash your sins away. Once you tell somebody all the wrong you did, you're back, <laughs> in, you're back in the good graces. So it's like, okay, I've been baptized, now I confess, and I go to church on Sundays. But as we said before, if you're not practicing that continuous growth, that continuous relationship yeah. with Christ, it doesn't really matter how many times you confess or get baptized or go to church. Mm-hmm. You cannot go to church and pray every day and do your best to live right, yeah. to continuously to push out that love and continually accept those for who they are and things like that. And you will, you know, in theory, grow closer to Christ than someone who just goes on Sunday and doesn't yeah. push out the rest of it. Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, two things came to mind when you were saying those things is, I mean, first of all, very simple. Jesus tells us, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Well, if he tells us that, then that is, again, it's very much a call to be sanctified. It's to continually grow. It's not just enough to be justified in something like baptism. Because, I, again, yeah, that's, again, it's important. You know, I don't think I'll ever negate that, yeah. but also, yeah, it's... People, it's, we, it's, people we think baptism yeah. is important. <laughs> Yeah, don't hear us wrong, but <laughs> it's just as important to constantly grow beyond that. And, um, oh man, where was the other point I was going to go? I mean, I think that's a big enough point on its own. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. I, no, I know where I was going to go with that. It, it, you know, a parable that Jesus talks about that makes me think of something like this is the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, you know, it's very short, but, you know, essentially the Pharisee is at the temple praying. He's praying out loud so everyone can hear him. And it's essentially, God, thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile, that I'm a man and not a woman, and that I'm free and not a slave. And he's making this pious prayer. He's supposed to be the religious elite. But then you have this tax collector come in who everyone hates. And all he can do, he can't even look up to God, you know, in heaven. He literally just keeps his face down, doesn't pay attention to anyone, but just beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the scriptures tells us that he goes home justified, that he goes home because he was humble. So coming full circle with all this, yeah, we, we put so much emphasis on performing religious acts and sacraments. And again, they're important. But a posture of humility and a posture of growth and a posture of love is expected out of those things. And I, we miss that connection. And that's something that we have to do so much better going forward because I think when you just perform the sacraments or you just perform the rituals of church, that's why people leave the church. They see it's inauthentic. They see, or no one's ever taught them to, you know, live a life beyond that. Um, I, th- I think all this can <laughs> come back to what we're talking about because, they. I mean, I think they're all applicable to these ideas of how people coming together. Humility has a part in it. And you know, growth, teaching, common goals. I, I think it fits. Um, all right. Just for the sake of conversation, let <laughs> me push it forward a little bit. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about good things, and we've called out some things that we think we can do better. Uh, but keep it on that ladder motif. Um, it's important to note that while we can learn a lot from sports, and especially team sports, um, and examples from within them, there's still some work to do with, in the realm of sports in general and just representation and things like that. I think it's an important thing to talk about. Um, and I know, you know, we've talked about this uh, before, but you've done quite a bit of research on just the idea of representation. I think specifically within basketball, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, so can you just share a little bit of some of the studies you've done and what you found, and then we can get to some specifics, but just what have you seen when it comes to the lack of representation within sports? So, um, quick backstory. So I, again, I, I was 21 years old. I tore a tendon in my foot and pulled it. Uh, I definitely uh, exaggerate this. <laughs> tore something so much cooler than pulled, but I pulled yeah. a tendon in my foot. And uh, I'm sitting down and I'm learning. Man, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. You know, most athletes get hurt and you're like, man, I wish I was out there. You know, yeah. I was like, man, I'm, I'm cool with this. <laughs> I got like, you know, my coach is like, hey, you know, watch film, jot down what you see. Yeah. This is my thing. Yeah. So I get into that. And as I embark, I'm like, okay, I still have my competitiveness. I'm still very obsessive over this. I want to be the best to ever coach basketball. Yeah. At 21 years old, I make this decision. I tell my coach, hey, I'm done. I'm I'll grab me a polo, please, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to be on the sidelines. I'm no longer trying to play. And uh, as we fast forward, I start to see, like, okay, I really do want to do this. Like, I would love to be a head coach and to lead young men or women. I've, I've also I've, I've been a head coach of a women's basketball program. I'm like, this is great. Well, my senior thesis was all about, in college, was all about the – I guess you say, I would say representation, but lack thereof yeah. of black coaches in NCAA college ball from college basketball. And the issue that I was really seeing is that the standards are different. Mm-hmm. Um, an example is there's coaches out there who have had three under 500 seasons. Mm-hmm. Just three, and they're let go. He's out of there. Oh, it's over. He doesn't. He's lost it. Well, how do you lose it as a coach? You don't lose it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you play. I yeah. Don't, <laughs> I don't shoot this jump shot. How did I? What did I lose? Well, on the other on the other hand, you know, you have white coaches who are not winning. They've been in place for ten years. Yeah. Had one good year. But he gets that, he gets to maintain that. And I think, honestly, um, and I'm not a big race guy, but in situations like this, it's almost in front of you. Yeah. Um, Another example, uh, and and these are just simple statistics. Mm -hmm. In the NBA, which is, I want to say 70, 75, um, I think exact 74.2% African-American, there's only four black head coaches. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I look at that and it's like, well, it's okay for me to play. Mm-hmm. It's okay for me to help. It's not okay for me to lead. Right. And, you know, just to bring it in, it's like the church thing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's okay for me as a sinner because I don't do the things that you feel like I should do yeah. to come in and transform my life the way you feel like I should but I can't talk about it because that's in the past. Like you said, leave the baggage at the door. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, another stat, um, 69% of NFL is people of color. Yeah. And 35% of assistant coaches are also people of color. But there's only one minority coach that's been hired 
out of the last six openings. So this year there are six openings. There's one minority coach hired. Yeah. And he's not African American. <laughs> yeah. He was a, uh, I think he's uh, Robert Sala. He's from, he's actually yeah. from Michigan. Yeah, yeah. But the issue that I was just having was just like, how do we, like, where's this long, line being drawn and why? Yeah. And you can't find out a why because you can't talk to everyone. It's true. And that's just, I mean, we got guys. Uh, Kelvin Sampson was at Indiana. He gets fired for texting. He texted Eric Gordon too many times. Mm-hmm. Well, at Indiana, same school. Um, Bobby Knight threw a chair at a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he stayed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I i mean I'll never understand it uh, I don't think you can even try to make me see what it is like you can't sit like here, a justification yeah, for you it you can't yeah. give me any justification right you can't sit here and say well it's because it's because of what for a long time I mean in sports black people couldn't be quarterbacks yeah there's no real justification here. Nope. Just, you know, and as far as, you know, just leaving it at coaching, me being a young guy, me wanting to be, you know, again, a, the head coach of a basketball program, it's almost like this added pressure, you know, like, ah, I got to win. I can't yeah. have any trouble. I can't have any eligibility issues. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like you almost have to run the squeakiest of cleanest yeah. programs. And even when you do that, the first hiccup, yeah. it's like jobs on the line. I don't know where that, if it stops or where it starts, but yeah. it's a very, it, it's, it's a tough one. It is, it is. And you know, I always just try to speak, you know, from my, I guess, if you want to call it area of expertise. And you know, one of the things in the last few years, I've, I've seen, and you, know, you just study church history, and you study you know, just church demographics and things like that, and sociology with it. You know, one of the things, I think one of the reasons I wanted to have these kind of conversations is, is when you look at <laughs> Scripture, you know, I grew up my entire life just seeing pictures of silky-haired, white, blue-eyed Jesus. Right. And, you know, any like children's book that we have, it's it, it's these white characters and things like that. But, you know, once you study, you know, just it's just common sense. Once you study, what's the historical context? Just a little bit of you don't have to read a Bible. I always say you can study two take five minutes out of the day and just look at geography. Right. <laughs> Where they are. It's not many bright-eyed they don't look like me <laughs> like jesus would not have looked like me with my you know anyway yeah it is what it is like i i just get frustrated you know because it is so simple like you said it's so simple five minutes study geography understand these things but so I, my reference point is this you know in the church the scriptures that we read the authors who wrote them who were inspired by god to write them were people of color. The people you read about in those accounts are people of color, right? But we have... Represent them as not people of color. Exactly. And that's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of church history that's went in that, you know, 
And, you know, yes, the idea of whitewash. Christianity has become whitewashed, especially in the West. But if you say that, and very well somebody listening to this can hear that, and their natural inclination is going to be to pull back or be frustrated. And, you know, Dr. Bryant and I talked about this in the last podcast. A lot of that's inherent bias. It's just you've been embedded with that bias your entire life. And somebody attempts to say otherwise, and you immediately have either a you either take a posture of listening or defense, or defense, right? Very and, harsh defense too. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. Like I, I always try to be like I want to be someone that is what James says: quick to listen, slow to speak. So my job as a Christ follower, especially you know, understanding my own social location, I think it's part of it. I've grown up in this tri-state area in communities that are 90% or higher um, white population. Um, I've grown up in the Bible Belt. You know, I'm a white straight guy who's a minister in the Bible Belt. Like, I have it. And it sounds bad, but I have it made compared to culture standards, right? right? So the best thing I can do is to be loving and listen. It's it's not to be, and it's to use my voice when it's appropriate. In instances like this, where we can have dialogue and just let's just be honest about the fact that the church has fallen into this same sin of bias and forcing people of color to assimilate to a predominant white culture. And you know, that's a broad statement and a big statement, I think, but it's something I've had to wrestle with and I, I think um, I could ramble I mean, on and on about that but I was I was uh, taken in I'll say I wasn't like adopted like I still mm-hmm. me and my mother are great yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to her earlier she yelled at me but anyway <laughs> as <laughs> um, mothers do yeah so I had a I had a friend that uh, I played basketball with and I was traveling with them so much from games and tournaments to practice that I was just like hey I was can I just stay? And they're like, yeah, definitely. So throughout the week, I'm with them. Well, usually we're on tournaments on the weekend. Mm-hmm. This particular time, we didn't. We played a Thursday, Friday, Saturday tournament. So Sunday we were back. I go to church with them for the first time. And this is a white family, very, uh, very white family. <laughs> um and we go, and I walk, and everyone's just, yeah. and it's like, I ask them after, I say, you know, do you think if God was here, he would care? And, you know, um, the mother of the family, she's kind of like teared up. She's like, that sucks that you have to go through that. Yeah. I was like, well, like, it's fine for me. I feel great. Yeah. Like, man, like, you know, it's, I'm not the first black person in the world. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not something new. But I, I feel bad for them that they've conditioned themselves to almost segregate areas. Yeah. Okay, in this area, black people can go to church. In this area, you know, um, Mexican people can go to church. And in this area, this is where the white people go. Yeah. And it's like, you know, this is interesting for me. So, I made it a point to go back, <laughs> and like I, like you say, you know, 
we've whitewashed it to the point to where it has to be this way, it has to look this way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's stories in the Bible where poor men with rags on and holes in her clothes go to the temple. Yeah. But in our society, if you go to church with jeans and flip flops, you're just, oh man, this guy shouldn't be here. He's disrespecting us all. He <laughs> has on jeans. So it's like, how does this? Yeah. And 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 that's just you know it's all societal and it is you can only push out what you're taught. Yeah. So if you're taught, and that's kind of how I look at it, you know, just kind of tying it together like race. Yeah. Well, they say racism is, you know, racist. You know the the suffix of you know the suffix is just means master. So you feel that your race is superior. Well, yeah. here's the thing. Um, that's great. But to feel superiority does not mean to hate. Mm-hmm. So you get all this stuff, and it's like, well, this three-year-old kid just stuck his tongue out at me, not because he hates me, but because someone in his house told him that that's the way to go. Yeah. And just like someone teaches you, like, like you said, as kids, we see it. I mean, I saw it. Yeah. There's this long silky hair, and this man that looks about six foot six, <laughs> shredded sometimes, just, yeah, just ripped, <laughs> and he's like pale. And it's like, well, when you read this to me, yeah. and I look at this picture, it just don't go yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, but you believe it because it's what you're taught. Exactly. And a lot of people who are racist, a lot of people who are stuck on certain things don't get out of that until they get older Yeah. when they have their own opportunity to tap into it and really see Yeah. oh that was wrong exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you're right I think again I think that's the hopefully the heart of these conversations that I hope we can have on on the podcast and just in general in ministry it's yeah a lot of times you can't help you were, where you were raised you can't I oftentimes help who raises you but what you can do is listen and it's learn on your own and it's having the humility to critically reflect on who you are, where you were raised, and how did that form you. I think that's a big part of it is just understanding your social location. It's understanding what has made you you. And you know, as you grow and as you find that identity and stuff, you have the opportunity to change that narrative, right? Um, so, I mean, we have, we've covered a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, just, just to wrap all this up, I know that we've talked, because we talked about a lot, this might be difficult, but, you know, just as we wrap up, what would be your advice for anyone that's listening um, in light of everything we've talked about, whether it be, you know, team sports you know driving us towards humility and unity and things like that how that flows into the church or even some of the negative you know how we maybe haven't been doing the best job you know just in light of everything what would be your advice for people navigating some of these issues well it's like i said earlier i I, i'd honestly tell you to start with having that reflective conversation with yourself who are you you know, strip away everything that you've ever been told, everything you've been taught. Who are you? What do you feel? What do you believe? How do you look at it? 
And once you do that, you can then go further. Yeah. But it starts there, and it has to start there. And that's the best advice. You know, I, I live with the mindset of I don't know much, mm-hmm. so I can't tell you anything. <laughs> and anything I ever say is just an opinion based upon how I feel like things work best. Mm-hmm. Because, like we just mentioned, ninety percent of the things that you know are because you were taught. Yeah. If if you grab a crayon, if you grab a crayon, and I say, and it's the color red, but I tell you, this is the color blue. <laughs> well, if you're taught that at three months old, yeah. until different, until you discover for self, you're going to believe that the color red is the color blue. Yeah, that's just how it goes. Yeah. So. I will always say, you know, strip away what you're taught, strip away all those things and kind of really look into who you are and what you believe and how you want to go about living for you. Yeah. Now, I mean, there is definitely right and wrong things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, continue to, you know, love. And if you really, you know, want to grow closer to Christ and grow closer to others, you have to be open Mm -hmm. to loving first. Yeah. So, that's my advice. That's the advice yeah. of Sean Dan. Yeah. You just strip it away and just collect and reflect. Yeah. yeah, I like that, and I appreciate it, man. Um, you know, just for the sake of us going too long, I think we'll cut it off there. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me, um, and I hope anyone that's listening um, that you were able to just to sit back and listen to us talk. Um, you know, some of this, <laughs> some of the questions obviously are guided and scripted, but now, we really covered a lot more than I think we even thought we would beforehand. Definitely. So, and I think it was all, you know, good stuff. Um, so, yeah, to all of you listening, I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and took something away from it. Um, as James does tell us, let us be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, tune in next Wednesday as we'll sit down with the author of books such as Slavery's Long Shadow, Race and Reconciliation in American Christianity, and among the early evangelicals, the transatlantic origins of the Stone Cable Movement, professor of history at Johnson University, and KCU alumni Dr. Jamie Gorman, as we discuss the history of slavery and racism in the American church and how we may reconcile these past atrocities into a better future for the church. But until then, in case nobody's told you today, Jesus loves you more than you could ever know, and we do too, and we hope that you would go and Give that to everyone that you see today. Grace and peace. We will see you next week. Thank you for tuning into the Chapel Chatter podcast. Be sure to share this with your friends as we will continue to discuss a wide variety of topics and experiences in the faith. As always, we hope that this podcast has been beneficial to you in your walk with Jesus and the way you share him with those around you. Until next time, in case no one has told you today, Jesus loves you more than you could ever know, and we do too. Grace and peace. We'll see you next time.